Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Thanks to Primally Pure for supporting today's episode of Elevating Motherhood. Primally Pure is one of my favorite companies. They excel at creating safe, natural skincare products made with quality ingredients. Primally Pure has become my go-to brand for clean, non-toxic face cleansers, creams, and serums. They're also the makers of my favorite all-natural and effective deodorant. I'm actually going to go over to primallypure.com after this and order some of the deodorant for my husband as well. He has expressed an interest in switching, and so I'm torn between the unscented, the tea tree, or the charcoal for him. I don't know. Maybe we'll just try one of each. I love it though. The blue tansy scent is my own personal favorite. Primally Pure has generously offered a discount code for Elevating Motherhood listeners. Be sure to use the code LORIBETH10, L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H-1-0 for 10% off your first order. For my personal review of their products and more information, head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash primally pure. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash primally pure. Thanks also to Mutu System for supporting today's episode as well. Mutu is a medically recommended online exercise program that is designed to support mothers postpartum. And it's not just for moms who have new babies. I started using Mutu two and a half years after my third baby was born. My hip issues and unresolved diastasis recti were continuing to get in the way of my exercise attempts and everyday comfort level, and I decided to do something about it. Mutu was just the support I was looking for. I started to experience relief after just one week of using their program. I highly recommend it as a way to boost your strength and confidence. It's gentle, doable, effective, and you can use it at home in the quiet of your house anytime you like, but then there's also an online support community as well. Buy Mutu once and it's yours for life. There is more information over at elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash Mutu. And you can also hear more from the founder and CEO, Wendy Powell, in episode 41. Both of those are awesome resources that I put together for you. So go check them both out. Episode 41, after you listen to this one, and also elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash Mutu. That's M-U-T-U, Mutu. I'm going to make a proclamation. There will be no more guessing from this point forward. We are going to be proactive and gather information to help our bodies and ourselves because we are worth it. I'm worth it. And you for sure are worth it, mama. 
Physical therapist Angie Peters is back in today's episode, and we are talking all things leakage after babies and also while carrying babies because no more guessing, right? We're going to learn more so that we can strengthen our bodies and regain our sense of dignity around things that affect many mamas like a leaking pelvis. And we are talking all the leaking. Angie is a physical therapist here on the island of Maui who specializes in pelvic floor rehab. I used her services during and after two of my three pregnancies because with the first, I don't think I quite understood all the information, but now I know. And she offered me so much loving support guidance and care during those sensitive times to help me figure out what was going on with my body and what I could do about it. Seeing her as a recovering mom opened my eyes to a whole world of resources that is available to postpartum moms that I want you to know more about. Angie graduated with a master's degree from the University of Utah School of Physical Therapy in 2002. She's had over 17 years of experience and continuing education in the outpatient orthopedic setting and has extensive postgraduate work in the field of women's health and pelvic rehabilitation through Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute. Angie shows great enthusiasm in education and improvement of pain-free function through a variety of clinic skills. She shares her free time with her husband and her daughter. She also enjoys golfing, pickleball, and the great outdoors. She was a wealth of information for us back in episode 19, which if you haven't caught that episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to after this one. Angie serves our Maui community with a gentle and generous heart, and I am thrilled she is here to serve my listener community at Elevating Motherhood as we dive deeper into the topic of leaky pelvis, understanding our postpartum bodies, why we leak, and what we can do about it. Without further ado, here's Angie. Welcome back, Angie. It's so nice to talk to you again. I appreciate you coming back. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. But there's many things to discuss, and I'm excited for our topic today. I hope to uh, be a good educator for your listeners regarding their pelvic health. Yeah, I love that. I'm sure you are because you were such a great resource for us back in episode 19, bellies, backs, bottoms, and bladders. And it was a great, gentle intro to physical therapy for moms postpartum. And you just did such an awesome job of explaining all things physical therapy and how moms can really benefit from having a good relationship with a trusted physical therapist. And I'm so happy that you're back to do a deep dive into pelvic issues that come up for moms postpartum and during pregnancy, namely leaking. So as sort of a recap from episode 19 for listeners who maybe didn't catch it, what are some reasons moms come to see you during pregnancy and postpartum? Yes, of course. Uh, recap and in brief. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy and postpartum, uh, there are quite a few issues musculoskeletally that can occur that I see clients in my clinic for. Uh, anywhere from postural considerations because of the changing angles in their spine, tighter muscles, weaker muscles, etc., that could also lead into pain in the spine and the hips, et cetera. 
uh, also pain into the perineal area, depending on the childbirth and if it entailed potentially tearing or episiotomy or a C-section scar that might mm. just be painful. So it really was categorized into muscle weakness issues and also pain problems also to be known as hypertonus or maybe too much tension and mm. that can be anywhere within the abdomen and the pelvic region those are very common issues within the pregnancy and postpartum body mm-hmm. and when do moms come to see you and i guess my real question is um, for those of us who've already had babies is it ever too late to come see someone for postpartum it issues is- it is never too late, Lori Beth. Muscles have memory, mm. tissues heal, and our body can always be resolute to find a happy balance of symmetry and our ability to feel good inside and out, outside and in. Awesome. So it is never too late. Generally speaking, I would say women can be sent to me as early, honestly, as early as two, three weeks, depending on the nature of the problem and how much problem they're having. However, it's more typical to go through that six-week appointment and then be referred to me somewhere around eight-plus weeks out so that we have allowed for some of those tissues to naturally heal, whether it be a vaginal birth or a C-section. Mm. Great. Let's let's talk bladders. Help us help us understand what's going on in our bodies when we pee a little, when we sneeze or laugh or cough as moms. What, what's going on there? <laughs> so this specifically of what you're asking, Laura Beth, is considered to be stress urinary incontinence. Okay. Incontinence okay. is is not age specific. It's potentially overuse or trauma specific. So I think what I'd like to do in order to thoroughly answer your question is tell you a little bit about different types of leakage Mm -hmm. and potentially what we can do as a practitioner to help that, uh, predictors of why we have leakage, Mm -hmm. and then maybe backtrack to specifically the leaker or the the leak with the sneeze or the the laugh Mm -hmm. or the cough or the jump, et cetera. There are, you had mentioned uh, leaking with sneezing or laughing that again, that is called stress incontinence. That is where there is, for lack of a better term, a load transfer disruption, meaning there's a load or pressure that's created with the task. So if I (coughs) cough, there's going to be pressure within my core cavity that has to go somewhere and it will likely go to the, the weakest link. With some people, that may be their pelvic floor muscles and their inability to work with the other muscles that correspond and help it out. So leaking can occur from pressure onto the bladder, out the urethra, and onto panties or pad or other. So that's what stress incontinence is specifically. Another type of incontinence is called urge incontinence, urge urinary incontinence. And that is more specifically related to those that have an urge to urinate 
and cannot get to the bathroom in a timely manner. That can be with the presence of a full bladder or a not full bladder. Some people have frequency related problems with their bladder and still even with a small amount in their bladder cannot hold the contents of their bladder with an urge to go. So it's also not uncommon to have both of those together, which we term mixed incontinence lorry bath. Mm-hmm. So that the combination of having stress incontinence, which again occurs with a load, uh, a pressure deregulation, a cough, a sneeze, a laugh, a jump, a lift, etc., even a transitional movement, and urge incontinence together called mixed incontinence. Another example of incontinence, which I don't see as much, but depending on the situation can also be present is called functional incontinence. And I think a good example of that is, let's talk postpartum. Some women do experience pubic bone pain. And after having, during pregnancy, after having baby, even just the simple task of walking is a monstrosity of a task. And sometimes if sitting and feeding baby and now you have an urge to urinate and now you have to put baby down, get up and walk to the bathroom. But when you have pubic symphysis pain, it can be very challenging and take a while. So if somebody's challenged with a time to get to the bathroom and they can't get there in a timely manner, they can also have leakage. Mm-hmm. Lastly is, and we'll jump into this a little bit, hopefully down our conversation, but is fecal leakage or fecal incontinence. So we will have a little discussion on that as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah, I'm glad to know the name of that too, because um, I wasn't sure what to call it. (laughs) So, and that's definitely something I do want to talk about because I don't think that we talk about it enough. So, you know, the joke is, and we talked about this in the last episode too, that, you know, that's just what happens when you have a baby and you had talked about this concept of it being common, but not normal. And I think that there's this misconception that it's something that we're just going to have to learn to live with. But I wanted to ask you specifically this, this leakage and all the different kinds, is this something that we should just get used to and live with long-term or does it ever go away on its own? Or is that just kind of wishful thinking? Uh, A gray area to all of the above. There is not a definitive yes or a definitive no. It is, it is feasible to have a goal to not leak, no matter how old you are, no matter why or the reason being that the problem exists. If you think about any injury that a human being has, we know that we have the capability from the inside out to have regenerating tissues, uh, collagen, um, collagen resynthesis, if you will, at the cellular level. Our hormones, our hormones can be part of this. And we oftentimes have fluctuating hormones depending where we are in our cycle, if we even have a cycle at all, if we're postmenopausal. And then, of course, just time. Over time, our bodies can heal. Our bodies have memory of how it used to be when there wasn't a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I do believe that it it isn't just wishful thinking. There are very very wonderful measures that can be taken to not have a leaky pelvis. 
some of those are more conservative in treatment and some are perhaps a, a bit more assertive, such as, you know, surgical or medical interventions, of which not all of these situations of leaking are appropriate for medical or surgical interventions. In fact, most of them are not. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful um, to know. But I guess, gosh, now it's got me thinking of like, so what can we do? Or basically, when should we seek out help? What's a good indicator that we need to seek out some professional help from someone like a physical therapist? Great question. I, I believe I want to jump back to what we said in our first episode in the beginning of 2020, mm-hmm. and also what you had mentioned within about five minutes ago, that it is common, but is not normal. So it isn't something that you go to a trampoline park with your children and other mothers and say, oh, I'm not going to jump because I might leak. And, you know, I've had two kids, so it's just something to expect and I'm okay with it. So I'm going to have to say that, again, common but not normal. So it's really got to be up to you to decide when you want to do something about it. I think initially after you have a baby, by the way, whether you have a C-section or you have a vaginal birth, in either of those respects, you can still have pelvic floor trauma. You can still have a a load on the pelvic floor for holding and carrying and growing that child for 10 lunar months. Mm -hmm. And then of course, if you have a a vaginal birth, there will be vulvovaginal trauma to some degree. There's been a stretching that's occurred in order to have that baby. So, when when you should do something about it, I would say within a couple of months after having a baby, if you are still experiencing symptoms of leakage, it, it I think should be readily addressed at that time to know that you can get past it and it shouldn't be just a part of your normal daily life. Perhaps some it's it's you know, they just get tired of wearing panty shells or pads or they think that oh, it's only when I get sick or cough too much or sneeze too much that they think it's okay that I leak then because I don't leak in any other situation. Well, we are human. We will get sick and and we will potentially leak. That could happen for the rest of their natural born life. And if they want to avoid that and learn how to conservatively manage that, it is possible. Physical therapy is really a great venue to learn those conservative measures of how to not leak. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Um, and I love mm-hmm. that you put the power back in our hands of really taking our health into consideration and taking it seriously and that we have to be the ones to decide when it is we want help or want to do something about it. Um, I think that there's the martyrdom in moms that is really encouraged. Um, It's a combination of things, you know, like myths about like, oh, it's just something you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. And, or, oh, um, you know, like I, for a long time, I'm guilty of not stopping to use the bathroom. Um, like I would, and any moment that my child wanted to use the bathroom, I would find a restroom and help them with that. Not just because they were potty training or because they asked, it's just something I do. But for me, I would actually be like, okay, no, we can't make one more stop. I'm, even though I have to go, we're not going to go to the bathroom and I'll just wait till we get home. And then by the time 
that happens because we live so far away from town, I've just set myself up for disaster. And that's kind of that martyrdom circle that I was sort of talking about that I find myself doing. Um, yeah, is that something of physical? Uh, the other part was that was interesting to me is the whole um, the training of the bladder, I think you had talked about mm -hmm. with me before, that I yeah. never even considered that, that basically by doing that and waiting, um, I was training my bladder in a negative way, but then also by going super, super, super frequently, I was training my bladder to want to empty more. And I had never put that together. Could you, could you talk to us about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So let me enlighten your audience first about what are typical normal bladder values, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, normal bladder values for an adult. So first of all, and this is, this is give or take, but from when we wake up in the morning to when we go to bed, we should be going to the bathroom to urinate anywhere from six to eight times in the day. Nighttime, as a new mother, it is should be zero to two times to be urinating during sleeping hours. And I say as a new mother because you're waking and feeding baby and you're continuing to hydrate in order to continue your milk production. So those values can again be pushed up or back a little depending on your intake of fluid and for the purpose of, of caring for the newborn. Also, when you sit down to urinate, it's very common to have at least eight seconds of a stream, real seconds, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, for, for the entirety of the stream, meaning not the drip, 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 but the full stream. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that, first, that first morning urination oftentimes tends to be quite, quite large. If you haven't gotten up in the night, it can be anywhere from sometimes, you know, 15 to 25 seconds even. That's not abnormal. That just means that your bladder is quite full and you should have an urge that you feel in order to go. So with that said, many people have gray areas within that. They, they get urgency more frequently and oftentimes when they feel the urge to pee, they think, oh, I, I must go to the bathroom. Well, you can get increased urgency by just the sight of a toilet or by running water or by, by uh, there, there are a lot of bladder triggers, keys in a door to be able yes. to pull, pull up in your driveway to your, to your house and the garage doors opening. And so your bladder says, oh, I'm home. Here we are. I know that that bathroom's there. And hey, even though we just went to the bathroom 15 minutes ago at Target, it's time to go again because we're home. So our bladder has memory. Our bladder can be retrained as a muscle to tell you when you need to urinate when it's actually full and not just filling. So then we get into what people can create habits also what's called jicking just in case peeing mm. so oh I'm, I'm going to target it's a 15 minute drive i i'd better go to the bathroom before i go and then when you get to target oh well, i'm going to be shopping for quite some time i'd better go to the bathroom before i start walking around now you can see how that that mindset would be comforting if 
let's say somebody with an urge to urinate can't hold the urine with the urgency. Well, nobody wants to leak, it's embarrassing. You don't want to smell. So of course they're going to jick. And of course they're going to increase frequency and urgency. Their bladder is gonna to continue to tell them that they need to go to the bathroom when their bladder is just filling. So there are what's called urge deferment techniques that you can do in order for the bladder to calm itself and for you to wait, give it some time, wait until some more time has passed for your bladder to fill more. If we don't have kidney dysfunction, our, our bladders are always filling once we empty them. It's a continuous process. Thank goodness it works that way to, to rid our body of toxins. So in sum, there's really three techniques to help control the, fil the feeling of, of bladder um, urgency, which is your bladder contracting. It's a muscle. The first one is that you can do Kegels. And I'm going to say pulsing Kegels, like squeeze, let go, squeeze, let go. I would say about five to 10 of those upon the feeling of urgency. You may also, at the same time or separately, put your hand to your perineum. The perineum is the area between the vagina and the anus. And you can gently press up on the perineum with the, with the finger pads of your hand. The pressure of your hand to the perineum and or the Kegels help to kick in a reflex arc and the, uh, the uh, it's going to interrupt it. It's going to deflect the reflex arc of the bladder telling the brain and the brain telling the bladder that you need to go to the bathroom. So it works. You will feel a lessening, a dissipation, um, a, a, um, a, an alleviation of the urgency needed to go to the bathroom. And then you can just get your, the third thing is distraction of your mind. Get your mind on something else. Think about your to-do list, uh, what you need to buy at the grocery store. Go do something in your house, putting something away or et cetera, et cetera. Those three things, Kegels, perineal pressure and distraction can help you get back to a fuller bladder. And in the meantime, if you do that consistently, your bladder will remember to tell you that you have to go when it's indeed full and it's not just filling. Now that was a long-winded explanation for your question. I hope that that was clear. Uh, very clear, very clear. And I'm so glad you actually went into all of that because I feel like I have learned some of that from you. I, I remember from my own physical therapy um, that you were like, if you Kegel, you can't like you can't pee and Kegel at the same time. <laughs> and so I try to keep that in mind sometimes. I'm like, do something else. But um, mine, my stuff has gone so far beyond that sometimes that doesn't work. Like I cannot will my muscles to do that. So then the distraction does help. But I haven't um, tried the pressure thing. But man, doesn't that remind mm -hmm. you of little kids? You know, like well, oh, very much so. In, at the same at the same time, isn't it amazing that the kids have their intuition to yes. do to put their hand to their crotch when they have to go to the bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. You know, a couple other things that feed into frequency and urgency are, of course, bladder irritants, Lori Beth. So there are mm -hmm. things that we do ingest. Yeah, you coffee. and I are coffee lovers. <laughs> we love our coffee, right? And and there's also um, on a bigger picture, and not necessarily in my realm of treatment, but is anxiety or stress. 
And so your sympathetic nervous system on overdrive can very much excite your bladder. So calming your sympathetic nervous system through parasympathetic means, vagus nerve, parasympathetic, rest, digest, relax, breathe. There are many ways that you can calm your systems and that in, in turn will calm your bladder. So modifying your bladder irritants, making sure you get plenty of water. If I could, uh, Lori Beth, I want to just back up to something that you said earlier about the common myths uh, of mm -hmm. bladder. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned uh, something in there with that. There are some myths that I do want for my, you know, the, the mothers to understand. Uh, number one is that it's not age specific. It's not age specific. You, you can have predictors of of pelvic floor weakness or leakage. And they are to include the following. Uh, you, you can have two, two or more children uh, having two or more childbirths. That is a higher risk factor. Um, having extra weight, being overweight or obese, that does create an extra load onto the pelvic floor. Uh, hormones, if you are perimenopausal or postmenopausal, the change of estrogen, can very much affect the lining of, of the vaginal mucosa and the urethra and the flexibility of your bladder for that matter. And it becomes more of a stiff and rigid organ with uh, a lack of hormone. Um, also, if you have a lack of pelvic floor muscle exercise, and I think a really big one to bring to note, and I can't, I can't overstress this enough, but if you have bowel problems, especially constipation, because constipation and that chronic straining can very much weaken the pelvic floor. So it is not age specific. A common myth is that it is, it's an older person thing. It's not. It, it all depends if you have any of those predictors that I just mentioned. Another one off the top of my head is if you have chronic allergies or asthma or if you do heavy lifting, that's all part of the pressure system and the deregulation of your core to, to absorb pressure, right? And so what we do for a living, postal workers, what, what do they do? Um, TSA agents moving bags all the time. Uh, a second uh, myth I would say is that nothing can be done about this. I, I leak and that's just, that's just what it is. It isn't. There are, again, as I mentioned before, a few different options. The conservative efforts of, of regaining control through the muscles and the breath and posture, all the things that physical therapy teaches. And of course, there's more of the medical regimens, it, it, urge incontinence and urgency frequency. There is a medication that you can be prescribed that does help with that. It, it is not a problem solver. There's still a root cause, but it does help with the symptoms. And then lastly is surgery. And, and that really is specific. There, you have to meet certain guidelines uh, for, for that. And it's very far and few between that that becomes the problem solver. Uh, third is uh, just decreased fluid intake. If I don't drink enough, then I'm not gonna leak. That's a huge problem. If you dehydrate, your body will not function and you will end up with absolutely larger problems down the road as it relates to your overall health. 
And our bodies actually really need good hydration to flush the system. If you're not hydrating well enough, your bladder will have an increase of uric acid. And uric acid will cause urgency and frequency problems. So flushing with water is absolutely indicated. This, this is fascinating. I am just sitting here listening to you on the edge of my seat, and I'm not even exaggerating because it's just such a, a breath of fresh air to hear someone talk so openly about this. And then I also feel like I'm learning something about myself, even though I've talked to you before, even though I've gone to physical therapy, even though I've looked into this, I just, I'm so relieved to know that things are normal, but things can be done about it. And those myths are super interesting, especially the drinking one, because mm-hmm. I have before not had water on purpose if I felt like I was going to be in a situation where there wouldn't necessarily be access to a bathroom. And I I allowed myself to stop at that point instead of trying to solve the issue. You know, I just kind of stopped at the, well, there might not be a bathroom, so what can I do about it instead of looking at the other issue. Anyway, I'm going off on my own little bathroom tangent, but, but I'm just so appreciative of this topic and this conversation because it's going to help me reframe and rethink how I approach my bladder habits, it sounds like. And then instead of just guessing what would make my pelvic floor stronger or my bladder stronger or my ability to hold it, if you will, stronger, there mm-hmm. are... I'm not going to guess anymore, which is really the awesome part about all this. And I actually would love to talk with you about other leaking, I'm going to call it, because if a bladder leakage is a taboo topic, then fecal leakage is like next level taboo. And it (laughs) happens to moms. It happens when we're pregnant or it happens postpartum. And we're not talking about it. We are not talking about it. So what's going on there? Is it, you know, because it's the pelvic floor and because like anatomically it's all so close, is the same thing kind of going on, like similar structural things, or is this like a whole separate issue? Yes and no. It it doesn't have, it doesn't have very defined borders as, as, as your question is asking. Uh, There are reasons that we do have fecal leakage or fecal smearing, uh, Mm -hmm. or both. And some of them are are bigger than just potentially a muscle weakness. And let me me just also jump to the general statement of, of pelvic floor muscle weakness. I'd like to really term it in the respect of a dyssynergia, meaning that the muscles are not working together as they are supposed to. So if you think of the postpartum mother, the mother that just carried uh, and grew a child for 10 lunar months in their pelvis, and then they had a delivery, their core muscles of their deep local structures in their abdomen, their breathing diaphragm, their pelvic floor, their deep belly and their back muscles, they've all been moved and changed and disrupted. And so how would you expect those local systems to jump back in and resuming normalcy? So with that said, muscle weakness, it it isn't 
just, oh, the sphincter around my anus is weak, or I can't stop a urine leak because those muscles are weak. I, I like to look at it at a little bigger picture. So there are the muscles of the pelvic floor. If you can envision a pelvis, the pelvic mm-hmm. floor runs from the pubic bone again to the tailbone and out to the sit bones. It's a bowl of muscle of which has three muscle layers to it, superficial, mid, and deeper muscle layers. The pelvic floor muscles also have different functions. And those are to include the muscles being sphincteric to, of course, stop anything coming in or out of that area. In theory, if the muscle is strong enough and working well with the other muscles that help it, those those things will not happen. It's supportive. It helps to hold up body weight and and gravity and and it allows for us to sustain being bipedal humans in our day and doing chores and lifting children and lifting pushing pulling coughing sneezing laughing doing all the things we do those are really the two biggest out of the four functions that i'm most concerned about Uh, of course the muscle is also stabilizing it helps with stabilizing the joints that surround the, the hips and the the sacrum and the coccyx and the low back and the pubic bone. So with that said, you can compartmentalize the, those muscles to work on more of the backside or around the anus. You can also compartmentalize those muscles to work a little bit more on the front side around the urethra or the vagina. Now, a muscle contraction, what we would call a Kegel, a Kegel pelvic floor muscle contraction all of those muscles are still going to contract and fire. It's just that you can make some of those layers work a little bit more for you, depending on how in tune you are to their use. So uh, fecal smearing and leakage, you have to be aware of the anatomy. People that come to me for this, I really dive deep into how to compartmentalize muscles. And then of course, talking you know, not anatomy, but what are what are some of the reasons that we could potentially have that problem? So I would like to dive into a little bit of what that is and, and why we have fecal leakage. So mm-hmm. one one of the one of the reasons is potentially that we are we are not regulating our bowel as we should. So if we think of a spectrum of bowel movement, it can be from pellets or hard lumpy stool to soft but form stool to then a looser stool and then all the way to diarrhea. So those that that have, let's say a super loose stool, and there could be many reasons for that. It could be stress, it could be IBS, it could be that they don't eat enough fiber. What happens is if you can imagine a little bit of stool coming down the the sigmoid colon, and then we have a juncture. We have two sphincters. The external anal sphincter, which is what we see and feel, we can pucker the anus, if you will. And then on the other side of that is called the internal anal sphincter. That one, we don't have a, a voluntary control on. It works on our autonomic nervous system. So if we have gas or liquid or solid that's sitting in the sigmoid colon, the 
internal anal sphincter that's a little bit in between the sphincters. And that gives you a sense of what's to come. It tells you, oh, that's yeah. just gas mm -hmm. or, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty imminent. I better get to the bathroom now because it might be a loose stool that you just can't control so well. So, so in, in some, what happens if you have consistently loose stool is that that internal anal sphincter stays open. It doesn't close. So the only thing you have to work against that loose stool is that external anal sphincter strength. And if you don't have a good strength in that sphincter, you might leak, you might smear, you might not be able to make it to the bathroom in a timely manner, okay? So the consistency of the bowel is key. You must have what, what they call a Bristol stool chart. You can look it up online. And the type three and type four Bristol stools are really ideal where it's soft but formed. And with that said, you will not create str consistent straining with constipation. That's another reason why people have bowel dysfunction is because they they have weak muscles from always straining in order to evacuate day in and day out. So having the right consistency of the stool is key. And that often leads to what we eat and drink. So your fiber intake is imperative. As adults, we need about 25 to 35 grams of fiber in a day. Soluble and insoluble fibers, and you can you can look up the difference on that. You know, we have there's different foods that have different types of fibers and what that does in our in our gut. In order for fiber to work well, though, you also have to have ample water, water intake. If you eat fiber all day, but you're not drinking water, it's not going to work for you. You have to be able to balance it so that that fiber, the magic fiber will create the the hard stool to soften and the soft stool to bulk to find that perfect stool okay and then there's evacuation mm -hmm. actually sitting on the toilet and going to the bathroom there is a proper way that this needs to be done in order for somebody to have a complete evacuation and not feel incomplete after having a bowel movement meaning there might be some stool still trapped between those two sphincters that we mentioned earlier, and then they cough and, oh, what's that? Now we have fecal smearing on our panty or our panty or our panty shield or pad or what, what have you. So the embarrassing nature of it speaks for itself. Nobody wants to have that. So, mm -hmm. so there is a proper toileting posture that we need to do our best to attain every time that we go to the bathroom, specifically having bowel movement. And that is with use of some sort of a stool or a squatty potty or a step and go. It's typically a device that goes around the, the bottom of the commode and that you can elevate your feet seven to nine inches which allows your knees to be higher than your hips by at least about three degrees. And with that, you can lean forward onto your thighs with a tall spine. So it almost emulates a squat position. And what this does, and you may have seen it, it's become much more mainstream in the last few years because of Shark Tank, by the way. <laughs> Shark Tank brought it into play. And so then it 
started to be sold at Bed Bath and Beyond and, and Target and Walmart and Costco. So this stool allows for a muscle that attaches from the pubic bone, goes around the rectum and back to the pubic bone. It allows for that muscle to release and lengthen, meaning that there's a straight shot from the sigmoid colon and the bowel that's within it to release. So there is much less effort, especially if you have the con right consistency of the bowel, there's much less effort and strain. When you have a bowel movement, I think lastly, you need to be aware of how you're using your breath so that you're not straining to, to have a bowel movement. And that is with an exhale, a gentle exhale, even a pursed lip exhale and to make a, a big belly with that exhale and a downward gentle force through the pelvis, an opening maneuver, a pelvic drop, a reverse Kegel. So it's the opposite of tightening up down there and pulling up. It's the reverse Kegel of gently opening and allowing for evacuation to occur through an exhale. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with that said, your Bowel movements are so important for everything. I think another aspect to stress urinary incontinence, by the way, is and and waking up more frequently at night, more than two times, back to the beginning of our episode. We, If we have bowel sitting in our colon, it can put pressure onto our bladder, creating more urgency and frequency. And also it acts as a weight. So if you do cough and you haven't had a bowel movement, or you are constipated, you're more likely to leak. Everything's so connected and so small down there. So having regular bowel movements also is very much important for your bladder health. Hmm. Okay, well, that's even more information that will give us even more grace when we find <laughs> stuff like this happening. You know, it's like, well, it's not just me. There are literally so many factors involved in this. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, before we get off of the topic of fecal leakage, how common is it? Is And does it show up in pregnancy and postpartum? Yeah, it certainly can. It certainly can. Again, it's a, it's an additional load. You know, with the changes in, in pregnancy, we do tend to have more constipation. I think that's fairly typical with signs and symptoms across the board in pregnancy. So there is more straining and it's just more uncomfortable. So um, fecal leakage, it, in older adults, they, what the research shows is that one in three older adults tend to have some sort of fecal smearing or leakage. Now, we have to kind of go back to those predictors of why pelvic floor muscles are, are potentially weaker, you know, whether it, how many children you've had, what the nature of your work has been, or have you been somebody that's had a, a job that's very laborious? with a lot of lifting, do you have strong allergies or asthma where you cough a lot? Are you constipated? So there are many factors that play into why those stats are, are so high. Mm -hmm. Also, mm -hmm. the stats do show that women are two times more likely than men to have this issue. And I think a lot of that stems from the childbearing aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So we tend to see more issues of pelvic floor and connective tissue weakness two decades beyond having our children. So if you're done with having your children by age 30, 
by the time you're age 50, you may be seeing something sneak in that, that isn't quite normal in your regimen. Maybe you do start to leak. So working with normalization of, of and function of your pelvic floor muscles and your surrounding core muscles and how to use your breath properly, it's really so important to avoid being part of that statistic. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I almost want to ask you if there's any myths you want to dispel around fecal leakage, but I don't even know if there's any myths around it because that's how little it's talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So myths uh, that fecal leakage only happens with loose stool. That is definitely a myth. And, you know, there are some people that, that do have nerve injury uh, or nerve degeneration from potentially like a neuromuscular disorder disease um, that they don't have sensation at the at the anus and so they can lose stool and sometimes without even without even knowing it depend and not non-specific to the type of stool that might be present Um, and again that another myth is that it only happens to older people so Mm -hmm. it is something that isn't as common as urinary leakage, but is to be addressed if you do have it, that it isn't something to consider as normal. So we'll say semi-common, but not normal. Certainly not normal. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks for that. Thanks for unpacking that for us because man, uh, we're just so nervous to talk about it, but I'm so happy that we are because um, you're not only giving us the information but then resources and then also highlighting that we can move forward um, and do something about it by strengthening our pelvic floor. And I wanted to kind of step into that a little bit, um, but also I'm curious as to how these issues differ during pregnancy and after. Like, do you find that more women have I guess, more pelvic floor problems after pregnancy, or is it kind of 50-50, or is there yeah. a chance that you can have issues while pregnant, but then those would go away after, or you would have no issues while you're pregnant, and then you'd have issues after? <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. Okay, yes, great. Uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is individual. It really is. It, it really mm-hmm. just depends on um, so, so many factors. I, I really... I, I really appreciate the depth and breadth of your question, but it's it's not an easy answer to that. I think as it relates to postpartum and pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, that you can have muscle or nerve damage with carrying and bearing a child, okay? So if you have an episiotomy or a forceps delivery, or you have a grade four tear from having a baby uh, vaginally, then you are going to have a higher susceptibility to pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, it's, you know, um, the other, other predisposing factors could, again, as I mentioned, be neuromuscular dysfunction or disease. If you have diabetes, if you have, um, multiple sclerosis. And so that, that neuromuscular component that is potentially skewed will, will affect your function of your bowel and bladder. Having hemorrhoids, hemorrhoids are very common in pregnancy from increased pressure. And of course, we'll, we'll have to thank um, progesterone for that one because we get, we get extra uh, veiny. If you look at your skin, you can see the veins popping out of the skin and extra right, right. blue. We get more, more blood flow and um, 
those hemorrhoids, which is a, a vein-related issue, it's a weakness of sorts. And so having, having you know, pressure deregulation in our pelvic floor, just as you would with, you know, urinary leakage or having a hernia in your abdomen or a pelvic floor organ prolapse, a, a hemorrhoid can be a problem with the fecal related issues because sometimes if it's active, the swelling of a hemorrhoid, external or internal, can block the anus from closing. So now you have bowel that needs to be evacuated and you can't properly have the sphincter work well for you because there's a hemorrhoid in the way, right? Hmm. So um, I think another one to consider as far as those that are more susceptible um, is any, any post-radiation and, you know, the stiffening of those tissues and less elasticity and stretch in and around the, the anal sphincter. And so, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, generally speaking, it, it is individual, as I mentioned, uh, the questions mm -hmm. that you had, it, it, there's not an easy answer. I think to have good pelvic floor health as it relates to bowel and bladder um, is to make sure that you don't have constipation. You have to nip that in the bud uh, and that you control diarrhea again, uh, that you bulk up with fiber or you deal with the root cause of why you have the diarrhea, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and that you avoid straining. And that will really help keep the musculotendinous units intact and working well for you. Who knew? I mean, I didn't know. I did not think you were going to say that that was the reason um, or the thing to really focus on because I think there's this like urban legend almost that Kegels are what you need to do in order to help everything. And they're like, oh, if you're having issues, oh, you don't need any help. You don't need anybody. Just do Kegels, you know. Mm -hmm. But then what the mm -hmm. heck are Kegels? Because <laughs> I also kind of feel like it's just kind of thrown around with the coconut wireless or like a bad game of telephone. And that's just like the reason you do Kegels, you just squeeze, you just squeeze a bunch of times in a row and it'll help you, you know, bounce back after baby, you know, it'll help the, the sex be better after baby. And it's like, ah, uh, I'm going to need some more details than that yeah. <laughs> when it comes yeah. to Kegels. So what are they and how do you do them and all Absolutely. the things? Well, keep in mind too, that, that Kegels or pelvic floor muscle contractions, AKA, that's part of working with, um, recreating a good solid unit of function in your pelvis, good pelvic floor and girdle strength. Okay, so a Kegel is a must, um, it's, it's a pelvic floor muscle contraction of which creates a sphincteric control around the urethra, the vagina, and the anus, and the rectum. Okay, so in theory, it it, again, it, I have to give you the visual. It attaches from your pubic bone to your tailbone, and then it goes from your sit bone to your sit bone. So if you have a bird's eye view and you look in a pelvis and you've taken everything else out of that pelvis but the muscle, it's, it's a big bowl of muscle. And that muscle is a muscle that is in your voluntary control. Okay, mm. So your ability to contract and isolate that muscle is very important. Now. Isolation is nice, but it does work hand in hand with a whole fibrous connection of our core. 
and our, our deep local muscles, our belly and back muscles, our breathing diaphragm, our deep hip muscles are all part of this musculotendinous structure that creates sphincteric control uh, and supportive control and stabilizing control in our pelvic floor. So the, the pelvic floor muscle, the bowl of muscle, has both fast and slow twitch muscle fibers, muscles, muscle fibers of power, muscle fibers of endurance. So doing a, just a Kegel and contracting and relaxing, there's different types of Kegels to do. There's different positions that, that you potentially may need to be in to access the best Kegel possible. There's a way to breathe with the Kegel to make it and give it the most force production in, in your efforts. So that's why I have a job is that it isn't just about squeeze down there and all your problems will go away. There is a <laughs> sequence and a rhyme and a reason and a pattern uh, and, a, and a deep mindful connection to what's happening at that base chakra down there, right? So uh, a Kegel is, in essence, it's a muscle contraction. That's what it is. And, and working on isolation and integration with other muscles in our core and our hips and with our breath and in different positions will help you gain the maximum potential out of that group down there. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for helping us understand what it is people are talking about when they say that. And I also appreciate knowing that there isn't just one type um, of Kegel, you know, and that like you basically walked us through our pelvis and, you know, which areas are controlling what and the pressure part of it and all of that. And I mean, besides Kegels, are there any exercises or treatments we should know about that are good for strengthening our pelvic floor postpartum, you know, either newly postpartum or years down the road? Yeah. So, you know, there, there are, there's several things that can, can be done to grasp, um, uh, getting this back in line, if you will. So there's online programs that, that can be uh, utilized. There is, there's a podcast you can listen to, of course. There are YouTube videos. Now, I, I don't want to give merit to all of those things I've just said. Of course, it really, you have to be picky and choosy about what it is that you do. But connecting with that area of your body in in prenatal and postpartum times is really crucial and essential because it takes a load and there's so much that happens in our body, prenatal and postpartum. I, I, I like to, I like to liken it to if you have an NFL football player and the, the football player gets injured on, on during, during the game, they get hit, they, something happens, they break something. The NFL is going to do everything in their power to shuttle them to the doctor, get their surgery, get them to physical therapy, and get them back on the field. They have a team of people that work for them to regain what they've lost in order to restore full function. Well, why wouldn't we expect the same of our fourth trimester mommies? We, mm -hmm. we have, in, in 10 months' time, conceived a child, grown a child, we we gave childbirth and now we have this body that, that we need to become more familiar with and learn how to retrain again. 
So there's systems that are skewed from posture to muscle length tension relationships and working through gaining those back isn't just through a pelvic floor contraction or doing a sit up, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. gotta be a little bit deeper than that. So yes, I will say in general, appropriate core strengthening mechanisms are important. Um, also making sure that you're not holding tension in muscles and that you know how to relax muscles before you start to work muscles. That's very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, recognizing postural influences that you your your internal core system your local muscles from your diaphragm to your deep core to your pelvic floor they will work well when there's a nice length tension relationship to them so good tall posturing in whatever position you're going to start to work in gaining better strength and endurance from your muscles so I I think that Kegels are a part of that. Uh, Kegels are a part of that. Um, I think in avoidance of certain exercises, newly postpartum, we, we definitely want to look at avoiding, you know, high pressure exercise too early. Things that we can't regulate well, such as running or CrossFit or weightlifting um, in the earlier phases. And, I'm, and, I, and let me just say within maybe a few months postpartum. So you need to let those tissues heal. Our bodies are inclined to do so. We we need to give our bodies that time for it to recognize it's what's going to be an, a new norm. It's it's uh, our tissues heal, and we can work on all the other stuff through formal guidance and skilled care by a PT. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so well, I, th- I think you've made the case for a PT. Honestly, I really appreciate your answer and letting us know some things we should avoid, but then also, you know, yeah, there are resources out there, but honestly, that trusted relationship with a physical therapist and learning about your individual body and taking it seriously and accepting that sort of individualized care can move you forward so far. So, and with your answer, I really felt like cheered on as a mom. Like, I feel like you're cheering for us. And even with just acknowledging things like 10 lunar months, like, thank you, you know, <laughs> for, for acknowledging that 40 weeks does not actually equal nine months that everyone thinks it is. There's a little extra in there, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, and, that, natural I, gestation used to be 42 weeks. And I think that was, mm-hmm. I'd have to go back, but I want to say that was as, late as even 1950s so uh yeah wow sorry to interrupt you wow you see no so it's great no and more information resourcing us and yeah these things are online but that individualized one-on-one attention from a physical therapist there's nothing like it my gosh well um and a lot of what you're talking about too the awareness and then the the posture and then um gosh, just some of the movement things that you were mentioning made me think of the Mutu system that you turned me on to and how they focus on those kinds of things. But then also it's almost like this less is more approach. Mm. And as I get older and as I seek out different types of exercises um, and focusing more on 
I guess, focusing less on what's a fad and more on what will work for my body and what it is I specifically want to strengthen, I'm finding that a lot of these exercises aren't this intense, you know, almost like showy sort of exercises, but more of a peaceful in tune, getting connected with those muscles. Um, less is more approach. And I'm wondering if you find that to be a good rule of thumb or, or more effective. Not only is it a good rule of thumb, but it, it, it's imperative. So I like to think of, of muscles in really two ways, local muscles and global muscles. The local muscles are the ones that you have to have in sync and in control for those global muscles to work. So the MUTU systems, as you mentioned, they do a wonderful job at connecting you to the local muscles first before you start to use those global muscles, right? Mm. So, so from the inside out, you're working on the appropriate way to reconnect to the muscles again. And I, th I, I can't say enough about that. I, uh, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about in this discussion, and it does, it does affect the, the core systems and the pelvic floor dysfunction is postpartum when women have diastasis. Mm. And this does happen to every woman in, in the third trimester. So when people start to do core exercise, you have to be mindful of, oh, well, gosh, what is the diastasis? How does that play into this? There's a lot that, that plays into that because if you can't connect and create tension on that linea alba, that main line, that line from your pubic bone to your rib cage, and you're struggling with using other muscles like your six pack rectus abdominis, um, or maybe a, an oblique muscle versus the deep core systems, your transversus abdominis, you need to have that guidance to connect to your pelvic floor. Your pelvic floor mm -hmm. is highly influenced by your deep core transversus abdominis and your multifidus in your back. It's, it's not, if you, if you are rectus abdominis muscle dominant, meaning your, your sit-up muscle, your six-pack muscle, it's going to create pressure in your pelvic floor versus a strengthening and support and stabilization factor. So learning how to return into core exercise in a skilled setting can be very helpful with that trained eye. Wow. Core strength and constipation as huge factors to leakage. You have blown my mind. <laughs> Like I was just not uh, thinking about those two factors and gosh, it's not just your bladder. There's mm -hmm. so much involved in all of this. And I really appreciate you pointing all of that out. One last question in regard to exercise. Is there a, a gauge or a sign that, that a mom is ready to get back into exercising or start exercising in general? Um, I guess specifically with consideration to leakage. Yeah. So you know, uh, leakage is it, it's sensitive to body weight and gravity. So mm -hmm. with activity, you know, whether that be you know doing sit-ups or going for a walk or um, you know going jogging or returning to weightlifting, if there's a a feeling of of bulging or pressure or leakage in the pelvic floor with any of those activities, it's too much. There needs, mm -hmm. there needs to be a backstepping and 
an ability to learn how to reconnect so that you can function in those meaningful tasks that you'd like to recreate for your body, but doing it without creating pressure or leakage. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think of and when I when I bring up CrossFit, I'm not saying don't go do CrossFit. There's many postpartum women that return to CrossFit. But in order for you to do a box jump or a double under, you have to be able to be thinking before the task and during the task, utilizing the right muscles and and breath uh, in order to create the sphincteric control to not leak. It's Mm -hmm. not normal to leak with CrossFit activities or weightlifting activities. And the pressure is too much. It's too great. Or the muscles are just too weak. So there has to be a backpedaling. Gotcha. Thanks for pointing that out because um, I think that sometimes we are guessing as moms, you know, we're with the best of intentions, right? We're trying to show up for ourselves, try these new exercises, and we set ourselves up for these, with these goals of like, okay, I'm going to be back at CrossFit at six weeks, you know, and Mm -hmm. then we feel like a failure if we haven't met that goal that we tried to set for ourselves, you know, but there's so much learning that happens in that six weeks postpartum or gosh, at this point, I'm three years postpartum, you know, and instead of being hard on myself and being like, well, it's time for you to really start taking this seriously. And, you know, come on, let's go. It's been three years. Instead, just meeting myself where I am and understanding my motivation for moving forward is to strengthen my body and to meet my body's needs and to do it in a fair educated way, you know, by understanding and what it is you just described to us and all of the different factors and just being a little bit more gracious with myself. So setting goals, again, like, Mm -hmm. like you said, not saying don't go to CrossFit. I'm not saying don't set goals. I'm saying just, you know, bring that understanding to it. You know, I would encourage women to meet their body where they are and see that leakage maybe during a CrossFit workout is a signal and not a failure. That's so well said, Lori Beth. And, you know, on that note, I think sometimes we we just set unrealistic expectations for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I feel that we're influenced by our social media and, uh, you know, what we see and hear out there. We're like, what are the, wow, how did she get back to looking like that or resuming that activity so quickly? Well, gosh, I, I can do that, right? Or mm-hmm. so it is individual and you do need to be patient and kind with yourself. It is a mm-hmm. monstrous, a monstrous event to be in the fourth trimester and try to regain what has gone, you know, maybe a little sideways for some. So mm-hmm. it's uh I, I, I just am very grateful to have this opportunity to speak with you about, you know, the pelvic functions and leaky pelvis. And it's just one of the many things that I do see people for in the prenatal and postpartum realm. And I love to to spread the appropriate information, the correct information. And and by the way, that's always growing. I'm always learning. Mm -hmm. And I, I certainly don't know everything, but I hope what I do know I can share and people do understand and can 
take into consideration for their own health. Yeah, I think you've done just such an awesome job of that today. Thank you so much for showing up for us and sharing all of this with us. And I know that listeners are going to want to connect with you more because you are such a an up-to-date, knowledgeable, compassionate source of information. So if they want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can access my website and you can also email me through my website. And that is MauiPelvicRehab.com, M-A-U-I-P-E-L-V-I-C-R-E-H-A-B.com. That's awesome. I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes too. Angie, thank you again so much. It was such a joy to have you back. You have helped us again very, very much. I appreciate you. Always a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration, or maybe a little of both. If you liked today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.